Good morning, One Church. Good morning. I pray that grace and peace will be multiplied to you today and every day throughout this week and forevermore. Um, it's a good morning. It's a good day. And I do give glory to God. I say all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And in many ways, there's nothing more to say. There's loads of things to say, but he is good all the time. And I do, I will pray for myself, if you like, before I start to speak. And I pray, Father God, I join my prayers to those that have gone before. And I do pray, Lord, that you will have your way. I pray that you will have your way even now. And I pray, Father God, through all the things that I think I have to say, or for all the things that I believe I have to say, that the things that you need me to say, I pray that they will be said. I thank you, Lord God, that your word does not return to you void, but that it accomplishes that thing for which you sent it forth. And I thank you, Father God, for the fruit that is to come. I do pray, Lord God, that you will give me utterance, even now, right now, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel, Lord God, for which I am an ambassador I do pray this, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when I was um, thinking about how I was going to um, start this message, how I was going to introduce the topic and the subject, I thought, well, actually, it would be good to be slightly different, certainly for me, because as you know, usually there are some tears. Well, praise God, today seems to be like it's a different day. Um, but I thought, well, I'll have see if I could find a, a short, funny story or maybe a joke. So I did a little Google search on um, identity. And I was a little kind of shocked and surprised when I thought, when I saw that there weren't really lots of, I say, um, basic, simple jokes about identity, but there was lots of stuff about identity theft. And I thought, well, how things have changed. Um, I mean, as we know, obviously, there's, there are lots of scams and so on and so forth out there, things out there, but equally, it is the devil's handiwork. And I thought, well, no, I don't particularly want to start with that because I don't want to give him glory before God. But at the same time, we are talking about identity. And so I thought, well, it's just as well that we understand his identity because we need to know to be able to recognize his MO when he's at work. Identity theft, as I'm sure you know, is about stealing someone else's identity um, for the purpose of obtaining goods and services by deception. And that is the devil's handiwork. That is his MO. He is Satan, the accuser. He's the deceiver. He's the father of lies, as Jesus called him. He's the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those are his characteristics. That is his nature. It is, unfortunately, the way that he does business. Um, and he will do anything that he can do to drag us down. He will do anything that he can do to make us unhappy, to keep us distracted from who we are, from our purpose, from our mission. Because if we're busy dealing with this, I don't know, this paperwork, that paperwork, whatever, trying to sort out our identity and simple things, we're not actually focusing so much on the gospel or being a great, wonderful witness for the Lord. But that's what he wants to do, keep us distracted. Praise God. He is good. Now, I would say, in terms of identity, I would say that it is a collection of distinguishing marks and features that make us individual, unique, and identifiable. Now, there are, in terms of these distinguishing features and marks, um, there, are, there are facts, obviously, we have, but there are qualities and characteristics. Um, there are things that are seen, things that are unseen. 
things that are sensed and things that are perceived. So we can have our basic facts, like there's our name, there's our nationality, like on your passport, there's where you were born, those are those basic things. But then there are those other things, those other aspects of us that make us identifiable. There are things that are intrinsic to us, things that we're born with. Obviously, there are features that we have, but within your family, you may find that there are um, similar mannerisms. There are things that are applied to us externally. Um, there are... Um, like when we, there are details that are given to us. When we go to school, there are reports that they write about us and they will say, well, you know, she does this, she's good at this, he's good at that, um, she's like this, she's like that. And we have that same thing all the way through, um, through life. We go to college, we go to university, we get a job and it's the same thing. People will say good things, they will say bad things, some things that aren't so great. But there are also things that we internalise um, there are things, behaviours that we learn, there are responses that we learn. We pick up the signs and signals from other people, from the world around us, and we get to think, well, they liked it when I did that, and they didn't like it when I did that, so maybe I won't do that again, or I'll keep doing that because it's good. So we learn how to behave, we learn how to respond. And these qualities and characteristics matter. Um, because they are ways in which we can be identified. We have had stories where someone's gone missing from a, for a long time and suddenly they'll come back and it will be like, well, who, who's this? And they'll say, well, you know, it's your long lost husband from wherever and you're sort of thinking, well, okay, you look similar, um, you sound similar, but as you kind of get to know them a little bit more, then you're thinking, well, that's a little bit different, that's a little bit strange. So our identity isn't always, it's not just those things that we can see, it's the things that we can't see, it's the things that we know, it's the shared experiences that we have with people. And when you know them, you can think, well, actually, he wouldn't do that, or she wouldn't say that, so I know that that's not really her, or that's out of characteristic, that's out of character. So as I say... It's really quite interesting that piece of paper's already gone missing, but there we go. Praise the Lord. There are different people in our lives who speak to us. There are different voices that we have. We have parents, we have siblings, we have family members. There are teachers, there are friends, there are peers, employers, colleagues. Um, there's the whole world around us that speaks. There are the voices that speak into our lives. And we take things on board. And I think for myself, it's quite interesting how easy it is to believe the things that other people say rather than the things that perhaps I even think, or that God thinks, if someone comes along and says, sometimes it can be really like, okay, well, obviously I was wrong and they're right. Why? I don't know, but that often is the case, I find. But we, we build up different thoughts, we build up different mindsets, we build up different attitudes, we have strongholds. Um, as I say, there are comments that come, they might be encouraging comments, they might be praise, they might be reward. We see body language, and things that say to us, you're included, you're excluded, you are rejected. Um, we have our exams, grades that come, you're good, you're not good, you're a failure. Um, we have pay, appraisals, rewards, some people are promoted, some people are not. You know you're told effectively that you're doing good or you're doing bad by what happens. There are policies um, that are in place. Um, people can be friendly towards us, they can be polite towards us, or maybe not. Like I say, we pick up different signals. Our identity is a collection of distinguishing marks and features that make us individual, unique, and identifiable. And as uh, Malcolm has said, that today is um, the start of our new sermon series, which is called Identity in Christ. And of course, it is important for us to know who we are. The world will tell us lots about who we are, but we need to know who we are in Christ. And the reason for that is so that we can stand against the lies of the enemy, the things that people say that are negative, all those comments and things. We won't be deceived and we won't be confused about our identity. 
Now, as has been shared already, um, the word that I was given for the topic today is redeemed, just that word. And so I've been looking at the question of how is our identity affected when we know that we are redeemed, when we know that we have been redeemed. And there are three parts to my answer. Um, And I would just clarify that, yes, the topic is is redeemed, and I'm not going to go into the specifics, many specifics or um, intricacies about redemption. I am going to talk about it, but the focus is on it in relation to our identity. So there are things that I will touch upon, but there are things that you may think, well, I don't go too deep, but it will hopefully become clear. There are three parts to my answer, and I would say that if I was going to give it a title, it would be Back to Eden. So what does it mean to be brought back? What does it mean to be redeemed? I think there are three aspects to that, and the first aspect is to be brought back. So we've been in in slavery. Well, we've been brought back. What have we been brought back from? We've been brought back from slavery. We've been in bondage to sin and bondage to death. We have been in captivity. And why did that happen? It happened, as many of you know, because of the sin of Adam and Eve. It happened because of the fall in the garden. So basically, they were disobedient. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, Eve didn't do that. Um, She did eat of that tree um, along with her husband. And they basically were banished from the garden. They were out of fellowship with God. They were spiritually dead, and they no longer had eternal life. They no longer had eternal life. So although they had a consequence, it was a consequence for everybody else as well. It was a consequence for mankind. And so everyone who has been born since is born naturally into a world of sin. And that's why I have my first prop. And I probably at some point will need some helpers, so I hope people don't mind helping. And in first, the first help I need is from um, Brother Jeff here. If you wouldn't mind, those friends of ours. If you could just place them in here. So this represents mankind, and it represents the fact that because of the, the sin of Adam and Eve, we are all born into sin. We're all born into bondage. We're born into captivity. And so through that sin, the well, God created the world, God created us, and we belonged to him. Because of that sin, there was a legal transfer to the devil. So he then had the rights, um, the legal rights of ownership. So while there were facts, we had um, facts of our identity were initially that we belonged to God. Adam and Eve belonged to God, but mankind has been born into sin. And so the fact of our identity became that we belong to the enemy, we belong to the devil, and that's what we're born into. So that's mankind in there, probably locked in there. So there's no means of escape, because man is born into sin. So they can't get out now. They can't do anything to get out of there. They're in a hopeless situation. But thankfully, God had a plan. And even in the same chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, by verse 15, God starts to speak of his plan, and he mentions her seed. And he's talking about the Messiah, he's talking about Jesus Christ, the Christ who was to come. At that time, the Christ who, 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 well, he was to come then, and he has come, but it's Jesus, the one who saves. 
So we were, we were brought back is the first aspect. But in the process of redemption, there is also an exchange. There is a price to be paid. And that's where Jesus comes in. It's through his life, through his death, and through his blood that we are redeemed. Titus 2.14 says that his life was given to redeem us. Matthew 20.28 says that his life was given a ransom for many. He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us. So there was an exchange, and the price paid was Jesus' death, Jesus' life. It was his blood that was shed. And the point about his blood also is that he was the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Um, He was the propitiation. So thinking back to, linking back to the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system where they used to sacrifice animals to atone for sin. Jesus' death, his bloodshed, was the atoning sacrifice through which we have forgiveness. But he was also the appeasing sacrifice in that God was pleased. And we know that because he was resurrected, we know that God was pleased. And therefore, through that, we have redemption. Christ was also qualified to be that sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, the acceptable sacrifice, because he was the sinless lamb. He was a man who lived just as we did. He was tempted in all ways as we are, but he did not sin. He did not give into it. And again, as I say, because he was resurrected, we know that God was pleased with him, and therefore he was qualified and he passed the test. And so because the price was paid, as you know, if there's a ransom situation or a hostage situation, there are people that are in captivity, usually against their will, or they've been duped into captivity. But in order for them to be released, there is a price that has to be paid. And so in this case, Jesus has paid that price through his life. And by doing that, mankind is now technically free. In terms of our identity, Transfer of ownership has moved from the enemy to back to God. So God is in control. And that's a legal transfer spiritually. And as I say, it's mankind that has been set free. Jesus paid the price for everyone. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he died once for all. He didn't die once for some. There isn't going to be another transfer, another transfer, another exchange. The price has been paid for all of mankind. So I suppose I could illustrate this like this and say, well, mankind is now technically free because the price has been paid. Jesus has purchased our freedom. And just to mention that because he did it, because Jesus was prepared to die, he is our redeemer. And he is a close relative. The person who is a redeemer often is a kinsman redeemer. And we see that in the story of Ruth and Boaz. He is the kinsman redeemer. He was her close relative. He was someone who had the responsibility to look after the family, to protect the family rights. So Jesus also, he did what he did. He did it voluntarily. We're told this in Matthew 27, verse 50. We know it was willing, but we know that he did it by grace. We didn't do anything to, do, to deserve it. Nobody, nobody in mankind did anything to deserve being set free. Adam and Eve sinned. Mankind sinned, if you like, and mankind was in captivity. But it's purely by grace. Purely by grace. And we're told that in Ephesians 1, 7. Ultimately, it was God's plan. He gave his only begotten son. 
But Jesus also did it by grace. He did what he did by grace. We're also redeemed for a purpose. We're told again in Titus 2.14 that God, Jesus gave himself for us to purify us for him, for himself, that we would be his own special people, zealous for good works. The intention is that we would live in righteousness, but that we would be his people. So redemption, two aspects of redemption, two aspects of being redeemed are that we have been bought back, but also that there has been an exchange. There has to be a price paid. We are bought back. So a summary I would say is that being redeemed, redemption, is a gracious gift of God. As I said, it was his plan and it was his son that he gave, a gracious gift. Being redeemed, redemption, is a purchase, has been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and it has been done to secure our freedom from the bondage of sin and death. The sacrifice of Jesus' life has paid the ransom for us. For us, and by that I mean mankind. And I think I would point out there that redemption is not salvation. People often speak of redemption and salvation in the same breath. But redemption is where we get freedom. Redemption is where mankind has been set free. The, the price has been paid for freedom. Salvation comes afterwards. You, you can be redeemed but not saved, but you cannot be saved without redemption. So there is a, dis, a difference between the two things. To be saved, you have to accept the free gift of eternal life. Eternal life. You have to accept the free gift. Much like, not quite the same thing, but for the purpose of analogy, much like you have coupons. You need to, you need to use them. They're sent out, but you need to use them. The gift of eternal life is there because the price has been paid and Jesus' blood has been shed. But if you don't actually accept the free gift, then you don't have salvation. So as I say, how does, how does the fact that we've been redeemed affect our identity? Well, the, one of the facts has changed. The fact of ownership has changed. We belonged to God originally, we went to the devil, but now we're back to God. Mankind technically belongs to the Lord. Fact is that most people don't actually know that. I say most. I don't have the statistics, but we know that many people don't know that they've been redeemed. Many people walking about on the streets don't know they've been redeemed. And in some respects, even when, when we come to Christ, thinking of those of us who are believers, when we come to Christ, there's a lot that we don't actually know. Things happen to us, things change, but we don't actually know what just happened. We, don't, we didn't know what the word redemption means. I can think of myself, when I, was, when I met the Lord, I just knew I met the Lord. I knew something was, had changed. I knew something was different, but I didn't know what all the terminology meant. I didn't know what I was saved. I mean, I think that happened many years later. I went to a church and, I mean, different churches, but a woman kept saying, are you saved? Are you saved? And so, are you saved? And I'm thinking, what's she talking about? What's she talking about? 
I was saved because I had met the Lord and I had given my life to him, but I didn't actually know that terminology. And that's not to say that they didn't use that terminology in the church that I had been visiting before, but different things stick at different times. The the penny drops, you get understanding of different things at different times. So when it happened, I didn't know. I didn't know what redemption meant. So in terms of my identity, it had changed. Facts had changed. Things had happened, but I didn't know. I didn't have that level of understanding. So there are many people who are walking around who have been redeemed because the price has been paid, but they don't actually know it. But then in terms of the qualities and characteristics that make up our identity, salvation is what gives us the potential for those things to change. We know that people can make lots of um, New Year's resolutions. People can make lots of decisions to change. They can take out gym membership, but nothing actually changes. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the Lord, it's not going to happen in an, in a, for, on, an, on an enduring basis. Anything else is going to be um, from man's strength. It's not going to be from God's strength. And so we need the Holy Spirit. So having accepted having understood and accepted the free gift of eternal life, having believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then we are able to be free. We are able, well, we are already free, but we're able to actually come out of here. We're actually able to stand outside and say, hallelujah, because we're no longer in captivity. There are lots of people still in there because they don't know. They don't have understanding. They haven't actually received the Lord Jesus Christ. And as um, um, Catherine was saying, you know, it's by grace. Even the ability to be able to, to receive the Lord, to recognize the Lord and to say yes to him is by grace. He will move on us when that time comes. It's got nothing to do with us in terms of what we do. We cannot take any credit for it. We cannot take any glory for it. But once we've accepted that free gift of salvation, and perhaps I shall put one of these over here um, to illustrate that point also, because she now has eternal life. So she said yes to the Lord. She has confessed her sin. She has said, thank you, Lord, for loving me. She has said, um, I recognize that I am a sinner, and I ask you to come into my life and change me. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that he died for me and rose again. So she's now outside. But how much does she know? Like I just said, she's just saved. She just knows, well, this is great. This is good. Something's good going on. But she doesn't really know what to do. So she needs to find herself amongst Christian people, other people. She needs to find herself in a church. She needs to start walking the walk. And she needs to start her journey of experiencing freedom. She has freedom because it was purchased. It was purchased completely. It was purchased absolutely. It wasn't purchased in part, only a little bit. But she doesn't know that yet. She doesn't understand that. So she can't yet enjoy the fullness of it. She cannot yet experience the fullness of it. She still has her sin nature. Others are still living in captivity even though they're free. But like I said, for her, the process of regeneration has come. She's been born again. She's now spiritually alive. She's back in relationship with her Father in heaven. She has salvation. Praise the Lord, and she will live forever. She's no longer spiritually dead, but she is spiritually alive. As I said, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And as I say, it is a free gift. She has moved from death to life. She has moved from captivity to freedom. The others have freedom, but they're still in captivity. 
And this is the third aspect of redemption. One is that we're brought back. Two is that there is an exchange. But the third aspect is that God also seeks to make things better. He seeks to restore things. He seeks to make things good. He seeks to increase opportunity. And this is where we have our journey to freedom. And this is where we have the box of different things that God has given us, different gifts, different things that he has for us, if only we have understanding and are able to accept them and receive them. I don't know if, well, well, some of you may recall the film, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, It was quite popular many years ago. Um, But in there, there's a character played by Morgan Freeman. Um, He's not the lead character, but he had been in prison for many years, decades. I can't remember the specific amount of time, but he had been in there for a good lifetime. But he gets to have parole, and I think, if my memory serves me correctly, there are several clips where he's before the parole board, and for some reason, I think he keeps saying things or doing things, so he doesn't actually get parole. But eventually, they tell him that he has to go. So he's now outside, he's actually been released from prison, and he's now outside. But he really doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to live, he doesn't know how to be, because he's been in prison for so long, he's got used to the system, he's got used to the routine, he's got used to the friends, the people, he's got used to his position, so he doesn't actually know what to do, and he's a bit of a lost soul. And that can be like us, where we have been released from captivity, we no longer have... um, the the restrictions on us, we no longer technically have the restrictions on us, but because we've always done it like this, we still keep on doing it like this. Because we haven't yet surrendered, because we don't yet have understanding, we keep on doing the things that we used to do. I don't know if you're familiar with, I've always been like this, it's how I've always been. Well, that's one of those things from before that perhaps we need to let go of, but we're comfortable with where we're at. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to learn how to live. Again, you may be aware of people who have had valuable paintings in their house or valuable pieces in the attic. They had no clue it was valuable. They inherited it, and it's just been in in a corner. But actually, it was worth a lot of money, but they just didn't know, so they didn't benefit from it. Um, I think there's a story also of a lady who had the deed. She had been given deeds to some land. But it was, I think, on a picture on the wall, it had been framed or it was on the mantelpiece or something. And until someone came to her and said, look, do you know what this is? Have you seen this? She was like, well, no. And they read it to her. And actually, where she was living in an, in a, an effectively sort of old, decrepit house, she, could, she actually owned all the land, but she did not know. And I think that it's like that for us as well. We don't know all of what God has for us. It's like there's all this stuff. There's all, there are all these blessings, all these gifts that he has for us. But we are stuck with, well, actually, this is where I, I'm comfortable. This is what I know. This is how I've always been. This is how I always do it. So actually, I'll just stay here because to do that is a risk. You want me to do that? You want me to change? That's a risk. I've got to give something up, and I'm not really sure I want to do that. You know, I think we can get into that mindset. We can get into that place. But that's not what Christ died for. He died for our freedom. He died that we would be free. He died that we would be living in the abundance and the fullness of his goodness. And he needs us to be good and effective witnesses. He needs us to say yes to him and mean it. So redemption, as I said, is a a gift It's costly and it's expensive. It is something that is purchased by someone else, our kinsmen, and it's for the purpose of securing our freedom, our liberation from bondage, slavery, and debt. That is what God did. 
And he did this. God did this through his son because he loves us, because he wants to be reconciled to us. And because of that, he was prepared to sacrifice his only begotten son and not forgetting that he took the initiative in doing this. He extended his grace and his mercy to us, to us and to a dying world. Redemption is his gracious gift. It is his blessing. But it is also a doorway and a gateway to so much more. It is a doorway and a a gateway to so much more. It is a gift that keeps on giving because as you grow, the more you learn, the more you know, the deeper you go, the more you see, the more he reveals, the more you understand and the more you will be blessed. So it is a gift that keeps on giving if only we want to open the box. So that was actually my first point, which if I was again going to give that a heading, would be the redemption potential, the potential of redemption. It's a gateway to so much more. My second point is about knowing. And as I've been saying, how does knowing that we've been redeemed affect our identity? Because we're now able to change, facts have changed, but we're now able to change qualities, we're now able to change characteristics And when you know something, when you know anything, I think you have more confidence, you have more assurance, you have more boldness because you know you are, I don't know, a guru in that area. So you can say, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, that's cool. And when you know something, it is far more difficult for the wool to be pulled over your eyes. You can't be deceived because you know. Um, And in terms of being redeemed, we can have confidence, assurance, and boldness in knowing that we are free. We are no longer in captivity. We can have confidence, boldness, and assurance in knowing that we belong to God, not to the devil. We can have confidence, assurance, and boldness in knowing that we don't have to do things the way we used to. We don't have to. We have been set free, and we can do things differently. We can can walk in righteousness now. We can also have different expectations. If you, if you know something, you have different expectations. And so a particular story, I have a friend who um, is, um, was, well, is working in finance. And they, well, some, it was an issue with a bank account um, of which they were a signatory. And some payments had been taken from this bank account. But it was not evident who had authorized them. So they went to the bank and started to make quest- ask questions about it and were given some story, some fob- sob story or fob-, fob story. And so they left and thought, well, oh, well. And they tried to find other ways of working out where this money had gone and why it was being taken because they are a signatory on the account. They haven't authorized it. And nobody else within the organization had said that they had authorized it. So they were talking to me, and I have got some, I have spent some years, I had spent some years working in a bank, so I was kind of thinking, this doesn't sound right, you've got money going out of your account, and they can't tell you why, that's not okay. Um, and we kept talking, and I said, well, you know, there is a direct debit guarantee scheme. And so basically, that system means that if you do a direct debit, if there's a problem, they will give you your money back, no questions asked. I knew that. They knew that, but I think they had forgotten, but I knew that. And because I worked in a bank, I knew what they were supposed to be doing many years ago, but many, some things don't change that much. So I knew what they were... I said to him, if you want me to come with you, I will come, because I knew. So I had a confidence and assurance and a boldness of what the outcome should be. Anyway, he went off to the bank. 
I'm thinking I'm going to get a story who's going to give me an update and say, yay, victory. Well, that wasn't the case. It was like it was very quiet, and I'm thinking, what's gone on? But it would seem that they gave him some other sob story or fob, a story to fob him off, and he left. But then he heard a word. He had a word from God. Then he thought, well, actually, okay, hang on a minute. And he went back down to the bank, and he said, I'm not leaving. He stood to his full height, and he said, I'm not leaving. And he didn't leave. But what happened was there was a complaint made. He got the money back. He got an apology. He got restitution because they gave him a payment, a goodwill payment, and they started to investigate other things. So all that happened because he had a word from the Lord that said, this is not okay, and off he went. But I, had, I knew that. So if I had gone before, I would have expected things to change before because I wouldn't have come away without it because I knew I was going to stand my ground. And as we, as Christians, when we know who we are, we will stand our ground. We will say, that's not okay because I know different. You can't deceive me. You can't scam me. You can't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm not listening. It will change. When we know who we are, we will expect to see things change. There's, it's not even a story, it's a reality of the slavery of the 1800s. I believe in Africa, not Africa, in America, possibly in other places too. Slavery had ended, legislation had been passed, and the slaves were free. But not all slaves had been told that they were free. So some slaves stayed in slavery because they did not know. They had not heard the good news. Like many of the people in mankind, they haven't heard the word. They haven't heard the good news that actually they are free. They have freedom and they can step out. All they have to do is accept that gift. They don't know. It is a common thing for the enemy to lie, to cheat, to deceive and to steal. And we need to know the truth and we need to share the truth. We have Caleb and Joshua Um, from the Old Testament, the Israelites. So um, God had redeemed the people from um, Egypt. They had been delivered from Egypt. Um, They had been let go. They were in the wilderness. They were wandering. And God said, I'm taking you to the promised land. So he was doing that aspect of where he was going to make things good. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. They sent 12 spies into the land. 10 spies came back with big fruit. Well, 12 spies came back with big fruit. They said, whoa, this is big. This is huge. But 10 spies gave a bad report. 10 spies said, no, we can't, we can't do that. We can't go in there. No, they're big. They're giants. We, can, we can't do that. We can't fight. We can't win. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. But Caleb and Joshua, Caleb mostly spoke up and said, no, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. God can fight for us. Our God is big. He can do this. We can go in there. We are well able. But the people saw themselves as grasshoppers. And they influenced the rest of the company, the rest of the family, the children of God, children, the Israelites, the children of Israel. And so they didn't go in. So God said, fine, you're going to die in the wilderness. So you're not going to go in. You didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. So now the penalty is you're going to die right here. So they wandered in the wilderness for some 40 years. They wandered. They didn't get to go in because they didn't believe. Is that going to be us? Are we not going to experience everything that God has for us because we don't believe him, because we don't trust him, because we think, no, I can't do that. That giant is far too big for me. I've been with this one for a long time. We've been together for so long. I don't want to part company. Is that us? Who are we going to be? Who are we? Who are we going to be? 
David knew who he was. David knew that he was a child of God. David knew that he had a big daddy. And so when Goliath came to stand against the children of Israel, he said, who are you, O uncircumcised Philistine, that you dare to come and defy the uh, the children of Israel? How dare you? Today I'm going to take your head from you because my God is big and I know who he is. So he knew what he was doing. He knew what his rights were. He said, Goliath, you need to go. You need to move. And we know the story that it took one stone. He slung it and that was the end of Goliath. We need to know who we are so that when the enemy comes knocking on our door, when he starts saying things or saying things through other people that are not true, that are lies, we need to know that that's not okay. We need to know who we are. When our identity, when people tell us that our identity is you're not good enough, you can't do that, you're not able, we need to be able to say, actually, I don't know who you are, but I know who my God is and I know that I'm his child because he died for me, he bought me, he, he bought me, he purchased me, he purchased my freedom. I belong to him, I don't belong to you. I listen to him, I believe him, and I'm not listening to you. We need to come to that place. But as I say, knowing is it's almost like a journey of discovery. We don't know, I think this, well, the scripture says that we know when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I was a man, I thought like a man. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. So initially, we don't know. And so for people who are new, people, babies don't know, there is a place where we grow. But what we can have from God is not dependent upon time in the sense of you don't have to wait till you're 21. You don't have to wait till you're 50. If you give God the time, if you surrender to him, it doesn't matter how old you are in Christ. He will develop you. He will take you to, to maturity dependent on how much you are willing, ready and willing to surrender to him. So it's not about years, but it is about what, how much you want to give him and he will respond to that. So we can know and we can grow So things that I can say, when I know who I am, as I said, I will say that I no longer believe the lies of the enemy and I'm not here to be fobbed off. I think also when I know who I am and when the enemy can't deceive me, when he finds it difficult to do so, I am freed up to encourage other people because I'm not busy bothering about my own stuff. I'm not busy trying to sort out my little list of like I've got you know, an issue over here and an issue over there and an issue everywhere else. I'm free to encourage other people. I'm free to be of more help and a blessing to others. Having knowledge. To know is to have knowledge, but to transition in it from a little to a lot. And we need to be intimate with that knowledge until we have absolute certainty about who we are in the context of identity. So my third point. My third point is about victorious living. Living victoriously. And in this... I'm going to start by looking at um, Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I, think, I don't think we have time to kind of turn there and look at every word. Many of you know the story. Many of you can go home and read the story again from Genesis 3. When she's in the Garden of Eden and the serpent comes to her. And just thinking about what, the two, what she did and what the serpent did. What we have is that the serpent was cunning. We know he was out, out for no good. He was out to get her to trick her. He challenged her understanding. Is that what God really said? Is that what God said? He contradicted the word of God. But he didn't really say that. He said this. He actually lied. He actually lied because God had said, if you eat of the tree, 
then you will die. And he said, well, you won't really die. He just knows that you'll be like him. He tempted her. He tried to sell her something. It's like, look at, the, look at this. It's, look, look, it looks good. Have a bite, you know, have some, take some. He tried to tempt her. Well, he tried. He did tempt her. But Eve didn't quite know what God had said because God had said not to eat of the tree. She said, well, he told us not to eat of the tree, but to not even touch it. Well, God didn't say that. But obviously, if she hadn't even touched it, then she wouldn't have ended up in sin. But she didn't actually know. She couldn't perfectly quote what had been said. She was tempted because she didn't know what she already had. The temptation was, God knows that you will be like him, but she already was like God. She had been made in his, in his image. So she didn't know what she already had. She also looked with her eyes. She looked with her eyes. She wasn't operating by faith. She wasn't being obedient. She looked with her eyes. She reasoned within her mind. She entertained what the devil said. She thought about what he was, the seed he was sowing. And she reasoned. She believed the lie. She eventually did the wrong thing. All of those led to the consequence for her and the consequence for mankind. And these are the things that we need to know not to do. Don't be listening. Don't be entertaining what the devil is saying. Don't entertain the lies. Know what God says and do what God says. As I'm saying, and I've said before, so it's nothing new. We need to know what the word of God says. We need to, to, to study it so that we can understand it. And we need to be regular in our reading of the word of God and we need to be intentional at it. We need to believe him. We need to trust what God says. We need to choose. It's a choice. It is a decision to believe what he says. We have been redeemed and we are free. I can say, I am free. We need to receive the truth. We need to make it personal. We need to internalize it. We need to make declarations. Jesse Duplantis is a speaker who often says that he would talk himself happy each morning. When he gets out of bed, he stands in front of the mirror and he will tell himself all, the, all these wonderful things. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a child of God. I'm a son of God. And so on and so forth. He will speak to himself so that he can hear, but he's also looking at himself so that he will know. And he speaks and he lives a victorious life. Yes, he, there are issues that come, but he knows what's true and he knows what's not. We need to act. We need to act on the word of God. We need to demonstrate our faith, demonstrate what we believe by what we do. We need to work the word. If you, go, if you want to get muscles, you might go to the gym or you might buy some dumbbells, but it ain't going to work. It's, you're not going to get muscles by just looking at them. If they're in the corner of the room, it's not going to happen. You have to work it. You have to make it personal. We need to pull down strongholds and renew our minds. We need to confess and repent of our sins. And again, it's not about going to look for things. We don't have to spend like hours in a room thinking, oh God, what, what, what's going on here? And as they would say, navel gaze. But as God reveals things to us, as he reveals issues to us, it's about being ready to say, okay God, I'm sorry for that. I accept that that's something in me that needs to change. I surrender to you. I repent of it. I surrender it. And if there are people that you need to forgive, then forgive. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to not get stuck. We need to not give up, but we need to endure and we need to keep going. The Israelites, as I said, they were 40 years wandering around the desert. And we're told in Deuteronomy that it was an 11-day journey, but it took them 40 years to get from A to B. So for us, in our journey, you know, 
How long is it going to get, take for us to get from here to here? Is it going to be an 11-day journey or the short, the short walk? Or is it going to take 40 years because we've been wandering around in the sort of like, well, I don't actually believe God. He said that, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing that. Where are we at? Don't get stuck. Don't give up. Endure. Keep going and come to maturity. We need to be able to make declarations. And I have some declarations. Time is short. It's running. Some declarations I have. And I'm going to go through these because I think they are important. I haven't got time, but to, there are declarations here. Come on. So, in the context of being redeemed, we have been brought back. So we can say, I am wanted. I am wanted. God has not made a purchase that he didn't want. There is no 28-day you know, guarantee on the return. There's no, it's not that. He's done it for us. We are wanted. So I'm going to say I am wanted, but this is for you. These statements are statements and declarations that you need to receive, that you need to internalize. And I'm making these statements in the context of redemption because there are loads of statements that we can make, but we have a series that is going to be covering eight, 12 weeks. So there will be lots of statements and declarations that you can make, but these ones that I'm stating now are in the context of redemption. So I've been brought back. I am wanted. I am wanted. I am not abandoned. I am not a forsaken. I am not cast aside. I'm wanted by my Father in heaven, and he is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. He is creator God. I have a dad. I have a dad. Come on. And he took the initiative. He took the initiative. So let me see. I believe in the Jewish, the Jewish timescale, 5,784 years ago, things began. They were in the Garden of Eden, somewhere around there. And somewhere around there, Genesis 3.15, he speaks of her seed. He had a plan back then. Jesus died some 2,000 years ago. When were you were born? How many years before that did Jesus die for you? A significant amount of time. So the plan was in place. The action of freedom was done. The action of redemption was done before, before you were born, before your parents were born, before your grandparents were born. You'll have to do the maths to work out how many generations back before you were born did Jesus actually decide to die for you. Know that you are wanted. You are wanted. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. Jesus wanted you. God wanted you. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. Precious blood. It's an expensive gift. So we are highly valued. Highly valued. Come on. Highly valued. The price, the price paid for us, for each one of us, was a high price. It wasn't a cheap price. It cost him a lot. It cost God his son, his only begotten son, his only son. It cost Jesus his life. He gave it up. He gave it up freely and willingly because he wanted you. He wanted you. So I am valued. I am worthwhile. You know, there was a, there's a L'Oreal advert, because I'm worth it. Well, hey, God said, I'm worth it. He felt I was worth it. He was prepared to die for me. Jesus was prepared to die for me. I'm worth it. Not because of anything I've done, but because he places a high price upon my head. So I can walk confidently, boldly, and assured that I am worth it. I'm a good investment for him. So there will be a return. I'm fruitful. I'm fruitful. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't have to have a poor self-image. All the things that I see, all the things that people say to me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So I am not ugly because God thinks I'm beautiful. He made me. He decided. And who am I to think I can make it better with whatever I think I might need to do? 
but I am valued, highly valued. His death secured my freedom. I am free. I have been liberated. The debt has been paid for me. I am forgiven. I am no longer condemned. And I should probably be unpacking some of these things, but you see, I'm forgiven. I'm saved. There's loads of things, but we'll get there. I am free from the bondage of sin. I am no longer, I'm, I no longer have to behave the way that I did. I no longer have to do evil things, wicked things, or immoral things. I'm free to act and behave righteously. I can do the right thing. I just have to choose to do it. I just have to choose to say no to that thing that stops me from doing the right thing. I have to say, it's time for you to go. I renounce all association with you. Get gone. I am free from the bondage of death. I can live forever, and in fact, I will live forever. I'm going to be with my father eternally. His life paid the ransom for me. His death paid the ransom. His life paid the ransom. So I am free. I can live the abundant life that he has for me. And in fact, I have hope. I have an inheritance. He has laid it up for me in heaven. And who has an inheritance for us? The Father has laid up an inheritance for us. Family. Family. I am not alone. I have family. Praise the Lord. God loved us. So I am loved by God, by my Father in heaven. I am cared for. I am considered. I have a future. I have a destiny. His gift was gracious. I am blessed. I am highly favored. I am not cursed. I am not cursed. I have unmerited favor and God is smiling at me. I am a delight and I am a pleasure to him. So when he looks, he looks at me smiling. Yes, praise the Lord. As I say, redemption is a gateway. It is a doorway to many other things. So quickly, I mean, if I had helpers, it would be good, but there you go. There's justification. There is, what's that, glorification. There is restoration because God makes it good. He wants to give us more. There's sanctification. He wants to make us holy. He's taking us on a journey. I mean, this one has smiley faces on it. Justification, you'll be learning about that because I'm sure somewhere in the series there's talk on, um, I think we are the righteousness of God. So, But justification, he has declared us righteous. We're no longer guilty. We have been pardoned. I am free. I am pardoned. Come on. There are so many things that we can say. So many things. But time is going and I have to hurry, hurry, hurry. So to close, I would say that whether we are aware of it or not, being redeemed means that our identity has the potential to be changed for the better forever. We can come out of captivity. It has the potential to be changed. However, in order for us to live victoriously in our daily lives, we need to know and really know, we need to believe, we need to receive, and we need to act upon the truth of God's word, the truth of our identity in Christ. Christ. And then instead of being stuck or being victims um, of the enemy, believing his deceptions, believing his lies and living in captivity, or as if we still are, because we're free, we don't have to be there. And we can walk in it, we can live and enjoy the freedom that Christ died for, because he died that we would have the abundant life and we can become the people of God, the person of God that he originally created us to be. And that is why I said, back to Eden is the title, because in the beginning he created us to have an abundant life. So if we do the things he calls us to do, if we surrender to him, then we can be the people that we were created to be. In Jesus' name, amen.